0: Our story begins today on January 24th of 1848. In the west coast state of California, then a territory of Mexico, a carpenter from New Jersey, James W. Marshall, was building a sawmill for a man named John Sutter. As Marshall walked along the river that powered the mill, he looked down and discovered flakes of gold in the creek bed. Though perhaps not the first time gold was discovered in California, news of his findings made it back east later that year, and in almost no time the California gold rush had begun. Between the start of 1848 and the end of 1849, when the United States admitted their new territory of California as the 31st state, the number of settlers from back east had ballooned from 800 to 100,000 people. For 20 years before the completion of the Transcontinental Railroad in 1869, there was no overland route to transport the gold from the west coast back to the east coast. Instead, the gold would be loaded on a steamship in San Francisco, which then traveled to Panama. The Panama Canal wouldn't even begin construction until 1881, so the gold would be offloaded and taken by train across Panama to the Atlantic Ocean, where it would be packed onto a second ship that would sail to New York. In 1857, a vessel bearing hundreds of passengers and laden with three tons of gold would disembark Panama destined for New York City. But they would never reach their destination, their voyage ending in fatal catastrophe. I'm your host, Forrest Kelly, and here is 10 minutes about the sinking of the SS Central America. On August 20th of 1857, The Pacific mail steamship, the SS Sonora, set sail from San Francisco, headed southeast for the isthmus of Panama. 600 passengers boarded the Sonora for the first leg of a sea voyage bound for New York. Many of the people who boarded the ship had come to California years earlier traveling from the east by foot in hopes of striking it rich. With the gold rush ended, some of the travelers had made a fortune for themselves, while others barely made enough to afford passage on the ship, avoiding the long six-month trek back across the continent through wild and often hostile lands. It also carried with it $2 million in California gold, about $300 in today's currency. The Sonora's journey was unremarkable. Arriving at the west coast of Panama, the passengers in gold boarded a train transporting them across the isthmus to the Atlantic coast. For the final leg of the voyage, the gold was transported on the SS Central America. Captained by William Herndon, the Central America was a 280-foot wooden-hole steamship, powered by two large side wheels, one mounted on either side of the vessel. Each was approximately 30 feet in diameter. The Central America departed the port of Cologne with 477 passengers aboard and a crew complement of 101. The boat had previously made the round-trip voyage between New York and Panama 43 times. The ship's captain, William Lewis Herndon, was born in Fredericksburg, Virginia in 1813. He joined the Navy in 1828, serving as an acting midshipman. As a lieutenant in 1851, Herndon was instructed to lead an expedition to explore the Amazon Valley. He was the first American to explore that region. Shortly thereafter, at the direction of the Navy Department, Herndon co-authored the book, Report of the Exploration of the Valley of the Amazon, chronicling his adventures, thus gaining notoriety as an explorer. On October 26, 1855, he was given command of the Pacific mail steamship, the SS Central America, at the time called the SS George Law. An act of Congress had required that all mail steamships be captained by Navy officers. The Central America left Panama on the 3rd of September, arriving on schedule in Havana, Cuba four days later, spending the night in port. The ship added a few more passengers and departed for New York at 9.30 the following morning, Tuesday, September the 8th. It steamed nearly 300 miles the first day of its trip. On Wednesday, however, a storm began to develop that continued through the night into Thursday. Their progress slowed, traveling some 200 miles on Thursday. Many of the passengers were afraid of the increasingly poor weather, yet much of the crew was unconcerned having experienced similar circumstances before. On Friday the 11th, the weather had turned from a coarse storm into a full-blown hurricane. The vessel had been designed to weather major storms, and Captain Herndon had managed the Central America through several previously. Nevertheless, on Friday morning, the ship's chief engineer, George Ashby, discovered that the ship had a leak and was taking on water though he was unable to locate where the leak originated. Ashby had turned on the steam pumps to remove the water, but it halted the water's progress only briefly. Inevitably, they stopped working altogether. The ship began listing, meaning as water flooded the vessel, it began leaning towards its right side, the starboard side. The water cooled the starboard boiler, dropping the steam pressure from the boiler causing a loss of power in the starboard wheel. Due to the starboard listing, the left, port-side wheel was now above the surface of the ocean, unable to churn water. The Central America was now dead in the water. With water still coming in and the pumps out of service, Captain Herndon had to find a solution and fast. I reported to Captain Herndon the state of affairs in the engine room. Chief Engineer Ashby later recalled. At the same time, a gang of bailers consisting of passengers was organized by Captain Herndon. The captain quickly formed a bucket brigade. Comprised of several hundred men, they began bailing out the ship. They used anything they could get their hands on, including empty pork and beef barrels. This work of bailing continued all through the night, one survivor remembered the captain and his officers making every arrangement necessary and contributing by their conduct and bearing to increase the hopes and keep the spirits of the passengers. For thirty hours straight, the men bailed water from the Central America. At the height of their efforts, they were bailing several hundred gallons a minute. Though they somewhat stymied the rising water in the vessel, it was still taking in more water than the men could bail out. By Saturday morning it was clear that the Central America was going down. But Captain Herndon remained composed and attempted to rally those aboard his ship. Jane Harris later warmly recalled the captain's efforts. Quote, During all this time the captain kept coming down into the cabin and going all around the ship to cheer up the spirits of the passengers and to quiet their fears. The water was gaining in the ship. He did not try to disguise the danger. But he made us all look more cheerfully at it than some other men might have done. End quote. The storm had been violent and fierce, the worst storm many of the survivors could ever recall. With the vessel sinking and the storm still ongoing, the crew began to prepare makeshift rafts and readied six lifeboats that were on board as distress signals were flown. By two in the afternoon, A smaller, double-masted ship, the Marine, captained by Hiram Burt, spotted the Central America with its distress signals up. The storm had knocked out one of the Marine's masts, and they had only one lifeboat aboard. Regardless, Captain Burt got his vessel close enough to the Central America that the two captains were able to speak briefly. As they began to send passengers off the sinking ship to the Marine, Captain Herndon gave the order that the women and children would go first. He was, however, afraid this might cause panic among the crew and people would rush the lifeboats. He asked engineer Ashby if he had a pistol. Ashby did not, but Herndon sought to equip each man steering the lifeboats with a gun to quell any attempts to commandeer the boats. Perhaps surprisingly, such precautions weren't necessary. As one survivor explained, When the women were getting into the boat, there was the utmost coolness and self-control among the passengers. Not a man attempted to get into the boats. Captain Herndon gave the orders that none but the ladies and children should get into the boats, and he was obeyed to the letter. One of the women described it as, quote, one of the noblest things in the world. Three of the lifeboats were damaged before even hitting the water leaving only three remaining boats to ferry people to the marine. Anne Small, another survivor, later recounted the rescue operation and the valor of Captain Herndon. Quote, The lifeboats were lowered, and as I was being handed into the boat, Captain Herndon came up and spoke to me. He appeared sad but very firm. Mrs. Small, he said, this is sad. I am sorry not to get you home safely. With these words, he turned away, and I saw no more of him. My little girl remained on board, and I did not discover that she was absent until I had gotten into the boat. I afterwards learned that Captain Herndon took charge of her and sent her to me by the next boat. All 60 women and children survived the disaster due to the efforts of Herndon, his crew, and the male passengers. The women and children were now safely aboard the second vessel, and Herndon began to fill the boats with men, attempting to save as many lives as possible. The Marine, however, had begun to drift away from the Central America, and was now nearly four miles from the doomed vessel. Herndon asked Ashby to board the next lifeboat, and to, in Ashby's own words, do all in my power to induce the captain of the Marine to bring his vessel nearer to the steamer. However, Captain Burt refused. With his own ship damaged and having a mere five ship hands, he believed the task would be impossible. When Ashby went to reboard the lifeboats and report back to Herndon, he discovered the boats had returned to the Central America without him. When the next group of boats arrived with male passengers and crewmates, Ashby ordered them to return him to the Central America, but they refused, unwilling to return to the sinking ship. Ashby tried to bribe them and even threatened them with a knife, but Captain Burt stopped him from using the weapon and the crewmates still refused. Against his will, Ashby's life was saved. On one of the last lifeboats to depart the Central America, Herndon gave a passenger his gold watch and chain with the instructions to deliver it to his wife should the passenger survive. In the vessel's final hours, Herndon ordered life preservers to be handed out to those still aboard. At 8 p.m. Saturday, September 12, 1857, the Central America was swallowed up by the Atlantic. According to survivors aboard the Marine, it's reported that Herndon was last seen standing on the main deck by the wheelhouse, dressed in his full captain's uniform. In the hours after the Central America sunk, 49 men were rescued out of the water by a norwegian sooner and another vessel the ellen eight days later three final men were rescued after floating hundreds of miles from the wreck one passenger who floated in the water for hours before rescue claims he saw captain herndon afloat in the water with him allegedly the captain joked saying boys this is a pole craft to get to new york in In total, 152 men, women, and children were saved from the disaster. 425 men, including Captain William Herndon, lost their lives. The ship sank with three tons of gold aboard, gold that was badly needed in New York as a financial crisis swept across America. The loss of the Central America and its precious cargo would only exacerbate what would later be known as the Panic of 1857. The Central America's final resting place at the bottom of the ocean would be lost for over a century. But in 1988, a team of researchers would rediscover it and its treasure. That's next time on 10 Minutes About. Thank you for listening. For 10 minutes about, I've been your host, Forrest Kelly. And that's not quite all I've got to say about the sinking of the SS Central America.